Jason. Today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast is brought to the good people. My budget blinds of Lee Summit. Budget blinds. Did you know? I know. Budget Blinds is your home for the Signature Series Automated Shades. All hail our robot shade overlords. Look, if you are ready to make your home a smart home, do you know who to go to? I'm going to say you need to go to Budget Blinds because really, if you're trying to make your home... It's like you were going to forget who the commercial was for. If you're going to make your home a smart home, you are not inviting you or I into it. But your friends, our friends at Budget Blinds can help improve the smartness of your home. Even our home, they could help improve the smartness of. Why, why are they so good, Jason? Because they are our robot shade overlords, and they are benevolent, and, and we should be appreciative of the work they do for us. So if you are ready to go find all of the beautiful things for your home window treatments and your automated window treatments, go see our friends at Budget Blinds of Lee Summit right in the heart of downtown. Tell him Jason next thing. Hello and welcome to the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast. I am Nick Parker and with me today is a special guest, Miriam Khalil. Miriam, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm good. This is this is a, a good one for me. I've, I've wanted to meet you and I've wanted to, to hear some of your story. You uh, you have jumped into the fray here in our community. As nationwide, we, we all are digging in to, to talk about race, about equality and diversity. Um, it's not something new to our district, but it's, it's kind of hit new levels. Yeah. And, and you, you kind of have jumped in. You started a Twitter th- thread called Our Struggle LSR7, mm-hmm. and you've, you've helped lead that and lead a petition demanding some change in the district. Why? Um, this one's, that one's the easy one. I've been trying to do this work for a long time. I founded like Harmony Council in my high school, like my sophomore year, which was centered around multicultural awareness and race relations. Um, I tried to work with the district before I worked with like uh, Dr. Carpenter and Kelly Wachel, just trying to implement these changes and make sure that the equity plan was the best version that it could be. And I was seeing that there wasn't any result. Dr. Carpenter had left, um, Kelly Rachel had left and like there was just like kind of this limbo where nobody was doing anything and just kind of seeing that there were three um, high school students from Lee Summit High School who had made a mockery of George Floyd's death in a video. It really just kind of ignited like, oh, this isn't okay and Lee Summit needs to be aware that just because this is a national movement, it also impacts our community and people need to be aware of what's been going on because I always talk to people about it. But it seems like the, there's like a disconnect between the people I talk to and the people who needs to, who need to hear it. And so I was like Twitter because like everyone's on Twitter. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a good point for me to to jump back in and, and say you are a former Lee Summit R7 student. You said mm-hmm. you, you started this kind of work a, a, as a sophomore. Now you are a student at Stanford University. Mm-hmm. Just finished your first year. Yes. So what, what high school were you at here in Lee Summit? I went to Lee Summit West. Okay. Yeah. What are you studying in Stanford? No idea. I'm like undecided, <laughs> taking a lot of different classes and just kind of going with it. They give us a lot of room to like figure it out. So I'm very happy about that. <laughs> so you've you've kept up as, as you left. So this was a topic that you you, you were deeply involved in mm-hmm. as a student at R7. And you've, you've kept up and obviously probably been a little easier this year since you spent the last several months back home. Yeah. What 
did you stay on top uh, of of kind of the things that were going on with the school board and Dr. Carpenter and and how that exit happened? Was that was that something you were keeping note of? Yeah, for sure. And um, I think that I was aware of it just talking to people and texting people and saying, "Oh, what's happening?" or like reading articles and trying to figure out what's going on and like why are people suddenly gone you know what I mean like what's happening and another thing is I like uh because I like the Harmony Council I founded it distributed like to different schools in the district so I kept up with the leaders of that group just to make sure that um they were doing things to combat this or kind of make sure that the student body was aware of what's going on and keeping up with race relations and making sure there was like progress being done there on a school level. So what are you, what are you wanting to see? What were you hoping you'd see from afar as you're on the other coast? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You're out in California. What are you, what were you hoping to see? I, I definitely wanted more changes to happen. A lot of like, even if you read through the petition, a lot of the changes can be easily implemented like there's one that I think they're voting on this week like the uh, gender discrimination and like uh like putting gender and um, sexual orientation on your non-discrimination policy is very easy to do and a lot of people have done it and it's been done around the country so that's just very easy to implement a lot of these things like not having to do necessarily with race but just general like bigotry and discrimination like why is there like this systemic way of discriminating against marginalized communities that you can easily combat as a school district like I think the problem in this school district is like people are taking their own like beliefs and just like enforcing them on everyone but that's not how you should run a school district it should be inclusive of everyone and it should be something that a lot of people feel welcome in it doesn't have to do with what you want or what you believe is right you know? What were those the same things that you were focusing on when you when you started this this Harmony Council? And I don't I honestly I don't know a lot about the Harmony Council, oh, yeah. so you can tell this me a little <laughs> bit about what that is. Yeah, yeah. So it's just um, it's a club I started with uh, like people at our school. I was just like, there's nothing at this school that focuses on culture, race, or any person who's like marginalized. There's a GSA, which is the Gay Straight Alliance, so that's been running. And there was a prior to that, there was like a um, gender equality club but that had kind of died down so I kind of wanted Harmony Council to be like this place where people kind of have like I know people are always like wait is it musical and I'm like no just like kind of a harmony between people right and like talking about race and having this open discussion where we can like try to hear everyone's viewpoints and talk to different people who've been impacted in different ways um, in our schools and see what we can do um, to combat the like difficulties that we've been having and how to like make sure that these things don't happen for future students. Well, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot a little okay. bit because the, the, the thread that you've started on social media is mm-hmm. about people sharing their stories. Yeah. So is there a story? I mean, do you have something that you experienced that, that got you here? Oh, for sure. <laughs> See, I was like, oh, yeah, I feel like my identity is not like something that is very like prevalent around Lee Summit. If I could say so myself, I'm like an Arab Muslim woman who's like parents like immigrated here. So I think that like a lot of things and I like a lot of things I like became aware of, especially like seventh, eighth grade and up. And then I was starting to reflect on things that happened to me in elementary school and realizing like, this isn't okay. You know, like I was put in like, uh, I talked about this at the like rally the other day, but I was put into English second language courses when I knew English better than I knew the other language I knew, which like Arabic, which is the other language I speak. So like, I was like so confused. I was like, why am I in these classes if I don't need to be in these classes, if I'm actually reading at a higher level than most of the students in the grade, you know, like I used to just read all summer like I was obsessed so there's like it didn't make sense to me that I was being put in these classes if I didn't need to be and they try to do the same thing with um 
different my like siblings and then my dad was like started realizing he's like well like my my children speak English like better than some of the people in their class their classmates so like why is this happening and there's a lot of reasons why like that could be happening or a lot of the program needs to live on if you don't have students in it taxes stuff like that that I guess it's like best not to get into people can like look that up themselves but like um when it's like a system that you don't want to benefit the student when the student's not being benefited from a system and you're just going based off of presumptions of what that student should need it's problematic like they looked at me and they were like oh this person needs to be in English second language courses instead of like listening oh like oh she can speak English well like I that's the language I was speaking like it was it's just like mind-boggling to me because like this is something that is very like I I have to use the language and I read and I write and I'm just because I know another language doesn't make my the English less like me, me being an English speaker, like I didn't like <laughs> I'm losing my train of thought, but I mean, like, like I can know Arabic and English equally well. And just because I know Arabic doesn't mean that I don't know English. And I think that people just weren't comprehending because there aren't a lot of bilingual students. So was, it was just interesting. Did, what was the what was the response like as you started finding your voice and you started speaking against that? And not really speaking against, but more more speaking for yourself is probably a better yeah. way of putting it. What was what was response like? And I'm gonna, I'm going to start with because mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you from a few different perspectives. But yeah. but but first from from the schools, from your teachers and, mm-hmm. and staff at the school, were, were people responsive when you said, "Hey, wait a minute, I don't need to be here." Um, I think that's the thing, though. In elementary school, I was just kind of went with the flow. I realized that in high school. But if we're talking about on a high school level. Well, um, I, you know, like in elementary school, most of us haven't found our voice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're just going to do what you're told. Yeah. So I think that was the kind of the thing. And I was just like confused as to why I was like they would take us to this little building. And then this stopped after a bit because there was just no way that they, they kept putting me. They were It was really funny because they would teach me like English things that I already knew. So it was just like, oh, like, why am I? It's a waste of my time. Like I was like put into this room with this like I don't even know what to call her but there was this lady with me and there was uh, sometimes other students but we would just kind of go through like basic English stuff and instead of like taking me out of classes that I needed to be in you know what I mean like math or like whatever it was that day and like it was like it was just not a waste of my time because I already knew the stuff they were teaching me, but in their heads, because of these implicit biases that we all have, they were like, oh, she needs to learn this, but I already knew it. So it wasn't, it wasn't conducive to me and it was a waste of their time. You know what I mean? And it was a waste of my time and a waste of what I could be doing with my education. Was, was the response similar from, from your peers in high school? Uh, 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 oh. Did they, did, do, do peers understand why you're frustrated? Mm. Okay, actually, this has been really interesting because as more people have spoken out, a lot of people have reached out to me to apologize for the way that they've like kind of perceived me because everyone was like, oh, Miriam just talks about race a lot. Miriam thinks that everything's about race. Miriam's this or that or that. And it was really funny because it's like, oh, wow, like I actually see the problems now. Like I understand that this is a systemic way that our country is built on and the education system is built on this. And it's like it's good that they've been realizing. But a lot of times people are just like, oh, she just like she just is exaggerating, you know, like I've been told like, oh, you're just exaggerating and it's like no I'm not exaggerating this is my life don't tell me I'm exaggerating about my own experiences you know but I understand at the same time it's very hard to empathize with something you haven't lived and I think that's um oftentimes like that empathy barrier you know like well that's I'm gonna call that the word of the last couple years right that's kind of the thing we've all been Mm -hmm. been talking about right And, Mm -hmm. and even when and and, and, you know I'm not gonna assume that you were watching school board meetings from California yeah but (laughs) You know when they brought in the 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 consultant mm-hmm. that they were they they wound up hiring. You know he gave a, a speech and he talked about empathy and then and the need for it. Well, so my question is this: is how do you how do you 
think about how we should approach that barrier and break that barrier because it is hard. I mean, I don't whether you're talking about race, mm-hmm. whether you're talking about gender issues. I mean, there are so many that you can talk about just anything that your friend yeah. down the street goes through. Mm-hmm. Empathy's hard, and mm-hmm. it's a it is a a nurtured skill. I don't think know that you're born with it. You have to kind of develop it along with emotional maturity, right? So how do how do we approach that and try to to break that barrier? I think that's a fantastic question. Something I've been like, even like in college, just trying to like understand how do you make people empathize? Because I think people often can you make them? I I think that people can learn to empathize if they want to. I think that oftentimes people are like, oh, I've never lived your experience, so I can never like empathize with you, which I don't think is true. And one of my favorite sociologists, her name is Brene Brown. She's also like one of the top watch TED Talk videos, but everyone should go watch that video because she talks about how like empathy does not necessitate an understanding, a complete understanding of an experiences, but it necessitates you wanting to understand and being there for someone. And I think that's the difference. People want to absolve themselves from figuring, like from understanding someone simply because they have not lived that experience, which isn't the case. You know what I mean? Like you can try to understand someone and you can empathize with someone without having their lived experience. Is it more about validating someone else's experience rather than saying, I get it and I I understand it totally? Is that is that a better way of putting it? I think that's a good way of putting it. But I also think that you can try to understand them. If the person is willing to like let like kind of let you in and try to explain things to you i think that you can understand by putting yourself in uncomfortable situations like empathy like necessitates you being uncomfortable sometimes and i think that's like where it goes like people don't want to be uncomfortable that's what if i have any if anything i've learned trying to do this stuff over like just everywhere in my life not not even just at least summit like um, being put in uncomfortable situations is not something people are willing to do but if people become more willing to do that i think that empathy will become something that a lot of people understand and a lot of people can like engage in. Well, I, I, I would say we are all being forced into uncomfortable situations now. And, I, and, and some of that is, is timing. I, I saw an interview um, the, the other day with a, a, a former football player and he said he was glad that we weren't playing sports right now in the world because it forced us to pay attention to these other things that, mm. that there aren't distract the distractions of sport um, um, to do that. So, and you're part of, focusing people onto uncomfortable situations. When you started this thread, you said you, you started the, the Twitter thread and you asked some other people to, to join in. Mm-hmm. Did you did you expect it to to take off the way it has? And now we see other threads in other districts yeah. that are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. I definitely, I knew that people had a lot of stories because I had gone out and listened to a lot of people and I was like shocked by a lot of it. To be honest, I was not expecting a some people have like went way beyond like just like the surface level. There are things that people experience that are more touchy or more sensitive that I was expecting people to like, to like kind of communicate through like a Twitter medium. So I thought that was like, like amazing. And I was really powerful. And like to all the people who did that, like, um, like I hear you and I see you, you know what I mean? Like that's amazing that they were able to do that. Um, I'm a cynic. I'm going to jump in real quick. Mm -hmm. because I am a cynic by nature. Yeah. And, and so I want to ask you this. Is mm-hmm. the I hear you, I see you, mm-hmm. is that becoming the same kind of cliche of thoughts and prayers? Um, You're right, yeah. But <laughs> I, I mean, think me is, saying... Is, is it enough? If, if uh-huh. me, all right, look, I'm, I, I, am, I am one of the 90% in Lee Summit, right? Yeah. I, I, I am a white guy. But it, for me saying I hear you, I see you, yeah. is that enough? I think it's not. But when I say it, and after all the work I've put in it, it means like I actually hear you and I see you and I've done the work for it. It's not just like I hear you, I see you, I'm going to go sit back in my like utopic land, right? It's like I hear you, I see you and I'm doing the work 
to show you that I hear you and I see you. So what is okay? What is the work then? Okay, because we're uh-huh. we're 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 giving voice to people. Mm-hmm. I, I say we, you, yeah. you, you're doing it. I'm just I'm just a loud mouth on a microphone. <laughs> but you're giving voice. You you've created this thing, and people are are using it, and mm-hmm. they are they are telling their stories. You've created a petition that people are 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 signing. What is the actual work? Yeah. What comes What comes next after everybody jumps on social media and tells their story? I think that there needs to be, the district needs to take it upon themselves. There's a lot, especially there's a lot of instances of like um, sexual assault and um, sexual harassment. And I think that needs to be something that the district needs to like figure out because it's not just one person. It's not just two. It's like over, I've read over like 30 tweets that or more that have highlighted that. Right. And, and like my next effort or trying to do is that the district needs to make an appeals process because clearly if you look, I tried to look through all those, all those 700 tweets or more, um, is there are a lot of people who are saying stuff and telling people and telling higher ups, but it stops either at a building level or at this, like at a building level and it doesn't go through the district or nobody actually does anything about what they're telling them. And that is problematic, makes students feel like their voices aren't listened to. And it just doesn't create this like productive educational environment. Right. And I think that the district needs to work on implementing an appeals process so that this doesn't happen because oftentimes people are like telling me that, Oh, I told this one teacher and they told me not to say anything again. Like, who are you to tell someone not to use their voice or when someone comes to you and tells you something like, how are you just going to shut it down like that? That is not okay. And it's not conducive to a proper learning environment because there's plenty of people who could have like excelled, right? Who that might've been a barrier for them. And if you actually care about a student's education, then you will make sure that their voices are heard when they are telling you something and telling you something that's important, that's affecting them and that's affecting the student body. So that's what I have to say on that. (laughs) Yeah. Do you feel like you, um, do you have a little more power that you are a former student and not a current student? Oh, I think I think that is something I was actually thinking about the other day because like I was like if I was still a student, would I be able to do a lot of this? Would and you have felt comfortable? I think that I did Cuz it doesn't sound like you were quiet. <laughs> no, I wasn't quiet, but I think I did it very differently. Like when I was a student, I worked in the system. Like I even interned for the district after like my like time there and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to do public relations here or this." Or I would like we would have this like uh, the Dr. Carpenter had a superintendent's advisory council, and so we would meet there like once a month and we would work on this stuff, right? And I think there it's like you feel like those people like they're not your like equals and now that I'm out of it I'm like oh like this person's no better than me or no less than me you know what I mean like just because I'm like an 18 year old in college doesn't like excuse their behavior it's still wrong and I think that a lot of students might feel that way but it's hard because you're like scared of the system and since I'm no longer like directly impacted by the system like yeah I have three siblings that I'm very worried about but like I think that I feel like more capable of like combating them and I think also my time at college like taught me a lot of ways that I could positively create change in our community so I think that helped me a lot just feeling more equipped to take on that change with me and the like people I'm working with which is a lot of people there's a lot of people in this community who are passionate about this and I think that's what's important like it's not just me it's everyone it's like a whole movement of like we are not tolerating this anymore and we're not standing for this anymore well and that and that leads me to my to my next question is what Mm -hmm. what do you from your perception what has the response been like? Do you feel like more people are supportive? Do you feel like, man, this is really, really hard and it's going to be hard to get community to listen? Mm-hmm. What do you feel like the community as a whole, the response is? 
I think that it's divided, right? Like, I think there's, here's what I'm saying. Like, I think it's really funny because we have like a large retired population, right? In Lee Summit. And we also have a young population. The young population is mad about things, but oftentimes doesn't vote. Like, I wonder like what would happen if a lot of young people would vote in these elections, right? Especially local elections. Yeah, we were happy that we had 16% turnout. Yeah. We should not be happy at 16%. Mm -hmm. It should be, yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of retired people vote a lot more, right? And or older people in general, and these older people tend to, I'm making a stereotype, there are plenty of older people who are more like, I guess, progressive. I'm not making this like a political thing. I don't think this is like a political, like everything is political, but it's not like a Democrat, Republican, progressive, conservative issue. It's like a human issue, right? Where it's like, it doesn't matter what you affiliate as long as you're like making sure that everyone is able to like live as they wish to live, right? And I think that a lot of our retired population wants to enforce their beliefs onto others, and that is the problem. Like, a lot of people are not happy with the changes. Like, a lot of people are just like, we just want a white, heterosexual town, and that's how we want it. And, like, that's how it should be. And I think that we need to, like, kind of work. Because I think it's like everyone's reaching to, like, a populace. But who's listening is usually young people, people directly impacted, like, teachers in the district. But I think we need to, like, be reaching out to, like, retired people and, like, older people and just kind of communicating and seeing where they're at and showing them where we are at and trying to see – how to create dialogue through there you've during during this the last you know 15 20 minutes or so here mm. you've you've talked about a lot of different things you've talked about race you've talked about mm-hmm. gender you've talked about sexuality mm-hmm. and sexual orientation does it make it harder that you're talking about bias and discrimination for so many different things that there's not one thing to focus um, it does 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 that make it harder? Does it make it better? Does it make it easier? I don't I don't know. I mean, like these are a lot of big, heavy topics, mm-hmm. and we're talking about all of them at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's even more. There's like sexism, Islamophobia, or like anti-Muslim bias. There's like anti-immigrant bias. There's just a lot. There's like a lot of identities. Right. Right. And I think that that's the thing, though. A lot of the these like marginalized communities, or I guess we can call them marginalized. We'll see. But yeah, like um, they people unite under the same thing because like if you want progress for your identity group you tend to want it for other people because you'd more directly that's what the whole thing is empathy right so if other people would empathize then we wouldn't need to like coalesce amongst like marginalized communities right then everyone would understand that everyone should be able to live like i don't have to like this is a big thing you don't have to necessarily want to live another person's lifestyle to allow them to live their lifestyle and if people would understand that and make things so much easier right like we're not asking that everyone becomes things but we're asking everyone to accept these things right and like respect people right and it's like also people's identity is like none of your like business necessarily just let them live I I never understood how people were so like into other people's business and their identity right just kind of let people exist and like hear them and like be a person like I think it's such a voyeuristic society yeah I mean (laughs) that's true like (laughs) no you're right but I think that it doesn't make like to answer your question it doesn't make it harder I don't think I just think that people it makes people who are not aware of these issues more sometimes more confused like what are you fighting for and it's like oh we're fighting for like everyone right and I think you can do it and make it like productive change but sometimes it's easier to like do one progress in one area and then do another progress in like another area right because there's a lot of things we could talk about with this district right and across the country like like LSR7 is like problematic in the sense that like a lot of the board members, a lot of people in leadership have said some like explicitly like problematic things. Right. But I don't think this is just exclusive to our district. Like this is 
the foundations of the American education system, right? Or American public education system. I'll focus on that. Well, and okay. So let me, let, me, let me ask you that then. It, it, it's, not, it, it's not just here. So mm-hmm. why are you focusing just here? Well, it's because it's the. I think that, in my opinion, like grassroots movements, that's how it works. It's not like top down, right? Like you move and you work on one community and then it impacts other communities. Like you said earlier, I started the hashtag and now it's in other communities, right? So like the same thing that is, it's like, wow, like you can create change here and then it creates change elsewhere. It's like a ripple effect, right? And there are plenty of um, school districts that aren't like that like there's school districts that are much better than us and more inclusive than we are and i think that you can't just fix everything at the same time you just work on one group at a time right does that get daunting to you does it when you when when you think about scale Mm -hmm. does it does it does it make you want to slow down um i don't think so i think it can a lot of like people who work in advocacy can get burnt out because of it but i don't think that it like makes me want to slow down. I think that these things need to happen. They need to happen fast. And I understand like, I always tell myself, Miriam, hold like the like patience for progress and not have like this imminent greed for change. Right. So like, yeah, like we can, we can work on these things, but I don't think I want to ever slow down and I'm trying to be more patient, but I think that you kind of have to push people a little to get some changes going, you know? That was an interesting phrase there. Greed for change. Yeah. Like is I'm it, is it greed? Prog- patience for progress. I think a lot, no, no, no. Like I want to have like a pa- the patience for progress and try not to hold this like imminent greed for change. You know, that's just I like made it up and I say it to myself all the time. So <laughs> it's interesting. It's uh, a, it's an interesting phrase. It get, kind of stuck with me because yeah. those are words that I wouldn't really put together normally. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um. So is, tell me a little bit about the about the petition mm-hmm. that that this it, it's in conjunction with the Twitter thread, and I've yeah. seen that you've kind of put it out there over and over for mm-hmm. pe- for people to sign. Tell me, did that start at the same time? Was it something you you kind of after things got going, you're like, hey, let's maybe use this? Mm-hmm. I had already like um, kind of like started thinking of making a petition before. I did the Twitter, but I wanted the Twitter because it's not just my petition, right? I had ideas, but there are plenty of people who face things that I haven't faced. Like a huge person who helped me is someone who has Targis syndrome, which is like, um, so she's like part of like, um, the, like disability community, right? And she helped me a lot with understanding her experience. And I was like able to like work with her to make like these petitions, the petition have policy that helped that community because like, I won't understand. I'm like not aware of every community. Like I can go out and talk to people. That's what I can do. But I don't have like a disability or at least a like visible disability. So like people can't like, I can't understand that. I can't understand that experience without reaching out to people. You know what I mean? So it's not something that's inherent to my existence. How did you go find some of these other people? Some of these people came to me and some of these people I just knew from like my just, I'm a very social person if you can't (laughs) tell. So like a lot of people I just reached out to or like, I didn't want to burden people. Here's the thing. Like, I don't think burdening people would be like, hey, you did this, so come help me. It's more like, hey, if you want to help, come. And so a lot of people came because a lot of people are passionate about this. It's not just me, you know? Social media can be a, a, a rabbit hole of horribleness yeah. as, well as, <laughs> as well as good. How do you feel the response has been? Um, I think it's been pretty good. There have been some people who have not been very happy. Just like a few, a few like maybe three, four people. Um, there was like this account that was just going around saying a lot of like just terrible stuff that, 
um i think we like got the account like dis- like suspended so that's good but like there are people like and then someone signed the petition and said i detest your racist language or like there's someone who told me i was attacking counselor which counselors which is the opposite of what i'm doing i'm saying that they're overworked and underpaid and that's a problem and i'm saying that like there needs to be uh, a better way to a better system that we can use to have like counselors and be better equipped to execute their jobs properly so I think a lot of people want to take what they want to hear instead of like what I'm actually trying to say and I'm happy to like uh, explain what I'm saying it's just sometimes people want to make assumptions just to start a fight and you're, you're 18 years old yeah. you're right out of high school you've just finished your first year mm-hmm. in a weird year of school for yeah. everyone no matter <laughs> what their age is mm-hmm. even for us parents who had to you know have our kids at home yeah <laughs> how difficult is it for you to think about you just said not everybody understands or they hear what they want to hear mm-hmm. now you have to be you put yourself in this position you have to think about what you say yeah every time it's kind of scary <laughs> is that it, it, do you welcome it is it is it something that's just kind of like oh man i need to think before i talk every single time yeah well this has been a thing inherent to me because like i've already been tokenized as like in different things where it's like oh if you say something like that means everyone like you says something because a lot of people don't meet anyone like me except for till they meet me. And so they're like, oh, like I am always kind of like aware of what I'm saying and not trying to reinforce stereotypes or anything of that nature. And I also like when I went to college, I learned like people will take your words and like twist them. Like a lot of I had a lot of conversations where it was like, oh, you're meaning this and like saying like buzzwords. And I'm like, no, I didn't mean that. Like, that's not what I'm trying to say. And I think that people will hold things against you is what I learned. And also people will We'll hear what you want to hear, but I'm trying to like channel in like it's not my obligation to make people understand me if they are not willing to come forth and like try to understand me. If they're just like there and they're like, no, we don't want to hear that. This is not what I'm hearing from you and we're not going to understand what you're saying on purpose. That's fine. But if you're actually trying to like make an effort to understand, I guess I'm fine with it. Like I think that I'm much more happier explaining or elaborating on what I mean than I am with people like assuming that I said something wrong and that's where a lot of problems come people will assume things and they'll be like you did this wrong or you said this that's what you mean I'm like no I didn't mean that but like if you had asked me at the beginning it would be better than you like assuming things but to answer your question it's kind of it's kind of exhausting because like I always have to think and I'm like oh like even now I'm just like what did I say that people might like come back or like threaten me about or say something about so it's just like ooh, you know it's it's interesting to me because you said that was kind of ingrained in you already just mm-hmm. having grown up like, like like you said you're you're a female muslim mm-hmm. your family immigrated from here so you've mm-hmm. you, you, a lot different yeah so you've already th- that's interesting to me that it's something just even growing up you already knew mm-hmm. and that's a perspective that i don't have yeah that I didn't think about until I started, you know, writing and yelling into microphones mm-hmm. to think about. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that that that's interesting to to me. And mm-hmm. do you? You said you don't feel an obligation, but do you? I mean, because you seem to. Yeah. You seem to also be welcoming the opportunity mm-hmm. to be that voice. Yeah, I think that here's the thing. Before I, I think this is before I went to college. I made it like it's different when you feel like you are at fault for people not understanding you. And I think that is very emotionally taxing. I think what I'm trying to shift to is like people not understanding me is not my fault, but I can help them understand me. 
Did so switching I mean? your switching your own thought pattern. Yes, and I think that uh, is the biggest thing. Like I'm like at the end of the day, it's me, right? So like, however I present myself and understand myself is more important than how other people do. So how do you feel about how you've been presenting yourself? I think that it's been good. I think that, <laughs> I mean, I feel like people will always take something out of context. It's really funny. Like people won't understand something and won't go out and try to. Like people don't give. What's the word? Like people always say, you don't give me the benefit of the doubt. The doubt, right? And I think that is oftentimes what I'm like. Oh, like if you had just tried, then this wouldn't. We wouldn't be here, but well, and I ask you that because mm-hmm. I think you know when we're talking about empathy, it, it all really at some point we have to look at ourselves. So yeah. I that's why I, that's why I was kind of curious. Like mm-hmm. you know, I, do you feel like you're doing doing the job that you want to do? Mm. I think okay, I'm like an overachiever, perfectionist type. So like I'm always like oh on grind. Like I need to like do this now. I have to do this now. Or if I'm not able to do everything, it's hard. So I think my hardest thing is like delegating. Like hey, you can do this or you can do that. It's not all on me. And I think. So I'm not, like, happy. I'm, like, content with the work that's been done. You know what I mean? Like, there can definitely be more done, a lot more done. So. Well, so because you are a college student, and, yeah. you know, if the world goes back to normal, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're going to go back to California in a few months. Yeah. Do you have things you want to have accomplished before you leave and go back to school? I mean, you're, you're, you're part of this movement for change. Yeah. Are there things you want to see happen before you go back? 100%. I think that there needs to be substantial progress that we can hold our administrators accountable to. I think the petition is – like, there are more demands than just my petition. I have, like, other documents that have more more things that I demand slash request, you know, because demand is, like, a sometimes an abrasive word. But, <laughs> like, I have other things. It's just these are very logical and very easy, I think, to do. Like, if you take first steps in it, at least. And I think that we need to have – accountability to, for them to de- make these like take the demands and like actually do them right and I think that if we have that accountability then I would be happy and also I'm still working on this like I even when I left I was still involved a lot of nonprofits here and I still worked with them there's always like we have the like lovely internet so like I can always still help people even if I'm not on the ground well and, that, and, that, and that's my question how do you how do you plan to stay involved because this is one of those things that works probably never done yeah so how do you plan to stay involved while also you know you're 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 going to stanford mm-hmm. yeah it's a <laughs> you lot have of school yeah yeah um i think that this is something just like in general i've noticed like you here's like institutions benefit off of like people leaving activists leaving and then new people coming in wanting to do the same work so it's like a cycle so educating the people who are passionate about this who are younger to keep this movement alive because it's like I'm very happy to mentor people and show people how to like go about things. And like, I've already like started working with through, through Harmony Council. I've already reached, worked with like a lot of underclassmen or like we call it underclass, but like freshmen, sophomores about how to like create these changes, how best to do it and mentor them and like per, help them pursue their own passions and their own way of doing this. Right. Cause it's not just my way that works. Right. Um, and I think that another thing is like, I have already since I like, I intern at like central office and like I know some people on the board or formal people on the board like I feel like I have kind of this open door where I can talk to people and I think that I'll use that until then because I also like my school starts later in the year so I have more time to like work and do stuff so I think that I think a lot of change can be made that can be touched in on without like having to have be like on the ground and there's plenty of people here who are nearby who can still do the work you know. For those, and this is kind of going to go backward a little mm-hmm. bit, but for those in the community that are resistant to what you're talking about, mm-hmm. that that aren't in that place, yeah, 
how do you how do you want to want to approach them? How do you want to because there are there are there are people that that swing votes, right? Mm-hmm. That that have power in the community that that think differently than you. Yeah. How do you want to work with them to try to not just obviously get the changes that you think need to be done, but mm-hmm. but to to get to a point where where it's not a community in contention all the time. Yeah. How do you how do you want to how do you want to work with those? I think that that is a really good question. Um, like, I'm very much a person who doesn't think, like, cancel culture. Like, we cancel everyone who doesn't agree with me. Not at all. Like, I think to make sustainable, productive changes in our community, you have to work with people and understand people. But the thing is, I feel like I've spent my whole life trying to understand those people, but they have made no efforts to understand, like, me or people who are like me. And that's where I get, like, it's problematic. Like, I genuinely believe in human beings and, like, their ability to understand and empathize with people. Like, that's... That's the frustration that I can't understand. The the frustration you're talking about for yourself. Yeah. That's that's the one where where I have trouble just because my my own experience, right, Is, 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 is that frustration and how you balance it with yeah, you're going to be tired of people that look like me. Mm-hmm. But that's not, the thing. It's but, not even that. But but how do you – well, I meant, I meant tall people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but how do you balance that with you know that you're going to have to compromise and you know you're going to have to do things to actually make change, right? Yeah. How do you approach that? This is like politics 101, right? <laughs> like there are people who disagree with you and there are people who are like much more radical than I am. But these, this is the thing. There are some things – Yeah, but on- today's politics, that middle ground is much, much smaller. Yeah, agreed. And I also think that some of these demands are not negotiable. Like, the, for example, which is now they've added it. I'm not sure how that happened, but recently they added it. I don't know. We'll see. We'll talk to people and figure that one out. But now all of a sudden I was looking through the board documents and um, gender, um, uh, like gender, gender discrimination, sexual orientation are on the non-discrimination policy where they weren't before I made the petition. But nobody's like made any like any sound about that, which I think is very interesting because I think a lot of people in the community wouldn't be happy about that. So I wonder why they are... Now you just added it. Yeah, I did. (laughs) But they're being extra quiet about that. Um, So I think that like those things are just non-negotiable. Like you cannot compromise on a person's identity and their ability to um, live as they want to live. Right. And I think that is a different than you saying, hey, we shouldn't go about things that way or this way. Like if you want to say that me saying that the counselor shouldn't be like I have this idea that counselors shouldn't be organized by alphabet. They should be organized by like the type of thing they do. You can argue that there's better systems, maybe. Right. But you can't argue like people should not be discriminated against because of their sexual orientation, gender identity. You see what I mean? Some things are like you can create or redesign the idea or make it better in a different way. But some things are just like point blank. You cannot be discriminatory against this. And there will be repercussions if you are. Right. And there haven't been repercussions, even though with other things on the uh, discrimination policy, because there's plenty of times that I know I and other students have gone to administration about a teacher or a student who has done something discriminatory. And they have faced like a slap of a slap of a slap of the wrist at best. So I think that is what I would. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to ask you one, one last time then because uh, as, we, as we go into this and mm-hmm. you, people are still, are still rallying, people are still, still protesting and, and, and doing things, what, what's next for you? Mm. I think I'm uh, – yeah, I'm working on other projects. So it's not just the district, but with the district particularly, I'm like uh, hoping to meet with people, especially when our new superintendent, Dr. Buck, like, comes in uh, to meet with him. Uh, which will happen in July. But for now, I think that create talking to people, um, listening to people, and taking and making sure the district's taking change, taking action 
as best as they can or being transparent with their public, right? So we have the petition. People are signing it, getting more people to signing it. I want to meet with the board at some point and talk about, like, these things. Um, that has about- to hit a certain number, right? I think it's at like over 500. If we could get to a thousand, I think that is pretty good. Or like, I don't know. Yeah, I think that that is a pretty good amount. Um, and another thing is just like, keep talking about it. Like the dialogue doesn't die down. That's the problem with like movements. People are like, okay, we did our work. We're done. But it's not like that. You have to keep pursuing it. And that's the that's why people who are advocates burn out very easily because you have to keep pursuing it because everything can always be like um, better, like redesigned or changed or made how do you how do you envision keeping that momentum going? Because at some point, mm-hmm. things will open up again. We will have sports to distract yeah, us. Yeah. We will have all of the businesses open. We mm-hmm. will have full capacity at restaurants at some point. Mm-hmm. I mean, that the crazy part of now is we don't know. Yeah, we don't know when, right? Mm-hmm. But at some point, those things are going to happen. Yeah. So how do you keep momentum going? How do you keep people focused yeah. on this thing? I think the best way is like I've I've been talking to a lot of people. I have a lot of like growing up here I have a lot of friends who are like we're all very privileged but a lot of fr- friends who didn't have to face these things right and I think that talking to them and they're like now starting to understand because there's nothing to distract them right and there's some things when you begin to understand the way that systems work against marginalized communities and how unfair it is there's things that your brain just like you can't just forget it if you forget it like it's an indication of you as a person I think or maybe like you're just tired but like the privilege of you just saying, I don't want to hear about it. I'm just tired is something I ask people to reflect on. But I think that this is something that keeps on going. Like people are mad about that. There will always be people mad about this, regardless of whether they're sports and restaurants and all the fun, right? Like I think there will always be people mad at it. And that's what we're banking on, right? Is like when people get tired, there's other people to take their spots. So the movement continues. I think fatigue, it's, it, it's interesting. I was going to wrap up there, but mm-hmm. but you, you talked about the fatigue. And it's yeah. interesting to me that I think the fatigue happens on both sides though, because I think you'll hear, you'll hear people who are just, who just fatigue. I'm tired of talking about race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 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 I really that's that's an easy distraction I think mm-hmm. for people to say I don't want to talk about it anymore. But I think that's that's hard too because you get fatigue from both sides, mm-hmm. and it's hard for people to keep that going and say I want things to to keep happening. Yeah, the problem there is that like hmm, I'm tired too, but you can never not look at me and think about those things, right? Like there's never a moment in my life, where, or at least in like in the United States, where I get to walk around where people don't look at me like that so it's not an option your option to not talk about race is a privilege in itself and I think that is something people need to be very aware of like you not having to think about this is a privilege and you need to really reflect on why the system has made your part of your part the part of the populace that you represent in a position of power so that they don't have to think about the horrific things that happen to other people and that is what I ask people to reflect on like reflect on why you are in a place that you are able to say that and how other people do not have that benefit you know Miriam thank you very much for dropping by I, I'm excited because this is my first in-studio guest since since March like 18 yeah so uh, I'm very excited thank you very much for for stopping by and I'm glad to see more people find their voice to talk about the things they're passionate about thank you very much appreciate it thank you you have been listening to Lee Summit Town Hall a link to Lee Summit podcast with host Nick Parker a proud member of the Fredcast Network, you can listen to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or most any of your favorite podcast apps. Catch us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for all of the news, analysis, and conversations on the Lee Summit community. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at link to Lee Summit or on Twitter at LS Town Hall. 